0: Well, actually, I did say that in the movie.
1: You did say that. And actually, those candle flames would be spherical.
0: But that would be impossible to produce as a practical effect on Earth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Unless they were in one of those
0: airplanes that flew up and down to get zero gravity.
1: Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. And this is, it's not.
0: God. Welcome to the (laughs) The Strange strange and Beautiful (laughs) Book Club. (laughs)
1: It's joke we've ever done. No, it's not. No, it's not. I miss the time when we used to talk for half an hour and then be like, "Oh yeah, we have to do an <laughs> intro.
0: Or you'd have to add it in post.
1: Oh, those were the those were the good days. The I mean, it's still the good days. What am I talking about? Here I am. Here I am. Here we are. We're talking about Solaris. Uh, Solaris. I sang it. I don't know why I do that. Actually, when I'm I'm mad at the kids and I don't want to yell, I it's sing. when you're
0: overwhelmed.
1: Then I start that singing. I've noticed. and um. So my daughter has started singing at me. Mom, I'm really frustrated right now. <laughs> like, well, and you know what? As a coping it, strategy. It seems like
0: that could all, it. the other thing you're trying to do is make your voice more entertaining to motivate the kids to actually listen to ooh, what you're saying.
1: I, I just know that they do it now. And as a coping strategy, I'm not mad that that's what they've picked up from me. Right. Better than yelling, I guess. So, um, anyway. Yeah.
0: I, I'll scream and throw things sometimes. So this, maybe singing yeah, is better.
1: This is that is better than throwing a baby tantrum. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think what we're trying to say here is we watched Solaris and it was really fucking overwhelming, overwhelming and underwhelming all at the same time. Uh, especially since we just watched watched read the book and the it, book. It's
0: like when I spent four hours on Friday doing my self assessment for my annual performance review bleh. and. It wasn't a difficult task, no. but I had to spend hours forcing myself to do like a tedious thing yeah. that wasn't itself enjoyable. Kind of like watching the 1972 Solaris.
1: It kind of felt like. What having to write a paper you don't want to write feels like. <laughs> That's what it was like. You yeah. know what? No, it wasn't bad. It was It was not a horrible It had its movie. moments. It was a faithful adaptation in terms of content. I don't think it was a faithful adaptation in terms of intent.
0: And spirit of the narrative. It was faithful in respect to the conversations that happened in rooms. In the book. Yeah. But it left out almost everything about what the planet does.
1: Yes. Well, you know what? How, how do you include that? How do you include the... The mimoids and the...
0: The symmetrioid, and the, symmetriads and, and the asymmetriads. asymmetriads and,
1: in a, you don't, I mean...
0: You'd have to have sketches and books.
1: It was slow and pensive enough as it is. I did not need an interlude where I watched goo, like, wiggle around and transform into things.
0: Ooh, I know how you could have done it. As a practical effect, here's what you do. You get a block of wax you carve it into a complex geometric shape.
1: You melt it and you play it backwards. And then you melt
0: it and play it backwards. Yeah. That, I think, could have been an effective way to...
1: And then the movie could have been four hours long instead of two hours and 46 minutes. Two hours and 46 minutes. I feel like that's almost as long as the audiobook probably is.
0: So when we... Since we've already covered the book, yeah, we can skip through the plot. So plot-wise, we get into the head of the main character, Chris. Yeah. And he's traveling t- – he travels to Solaris Station. Oh, no, Solaris you skipped Station. the first
1: 50 minutes of the movie. Hold on, hold on. Oh, okay.
0: I'm summarizing the plot point. The yeah. plot points
1: okay. to
0: compare the difference between the book and the movie. Okay. So in the book, you start out in Chris's head – on his way to stellaris station
1: docking yeah
0: and within i don't know
1: a chapter tw- like
0: 20 minutes of reading yeah he's already talking to S- snout snout
1: <laughs> snout rat yeah rat
0: in the movie he he doesn't meet snout until almost oh. 50 five zero minutes into the movie
1: correct
0: and at that point there's 2 hours left Yes. After he meets Snout.
1: Yes. And what did we do for the first 50 minutes, Matthew? We sort of stared at scenery.
0: Oh, we we start looking at like underwater grass and yeah. seaweed and algae and stuff. Yeah. For like 10 minutes. Well,
1: because Chris is on his hour-long walk that he takes every day through the woods where he stops and washes his hands in some pond water.
0: Because in Soviet Russia... Pond water is cleaner than drinking water. (laughs) Better for hand washing.
1: Stop. This is a Soviet-era Russian film adaptation of a Polish novel by Andrzej Tchaikovsky?
0: Tartakovsky.
1: Tartakovsky. This is his most widely distributed film. Um, Apparently, when they first made it, he was asked to cut all references to God and Christianity out of it. What And he refused to. He edited it like a little bit and then gave it back to them and was like, how about now? And they were like, all right, fine. Go with it. We do move a couple things around. One thing we do in the very beginning that normally it it pops up halfway maybe through the book is the testimony from Burton. Yes. And that's the pilot guy who was like, I saw a fucking baby. And they were like, was it a baby a though? A 13
0: foot tall baby. And he
1: was like, yeah, it was a really big fucking baby. And they were like, if it's big, can it be a baby? And he's like, are you trying did you think you got me there? Because you glad didn't get me there. I'm s- glad they
0: skipped all of that pedantic, is it a baby if it's 13 feet tall. Yeah. Well, I didn't say it was a baby. I said it was a small child, like a toddler. But is it a child if it's 13 feet tall? Yeah, that was yes. very, mm, okay. But how can you tell? I can tell by the way it is, douchebag.
1: Yeah, and we meet Burton, and he's yeah. kind of the guy at the very beginning. And I liked his line uh, because he talks to Chris, and Chris is kind of a douchebag. Um, this was an actually kind of an interesting discussion, but also just like, wow, Chris is a douchebag because Burton is like, listen, I I think you need to understand the importance of what's happening on Solaris because in this narrative, um, Solaris is this planet that we found. And at first we were all super excited about studying it. But at this point it has almost become like a religious pilgrimage, if you go to it as a scientist it's because you have nothing left or Nobody. you are
0: you are so dedicated to the the niche scientific study of this particular planet
1: yeah and as they say solaristics is in degradation so it's like anybody who studies solaris who is a solarist or whatever is someone who is like You're a fringe scientist at this point. And that's why the station, which used to have 80-some members on it, now only has three. And so they are sending Chris to this station in the movie. In the book, his motivation, unclear. He's there to study it.
0: Yeah, in the book, he's actually like an academic solarist who's – he stuttered under – he studied under – Gabarian, Gibarian. Yeah. Gabarian was like his academic advisor, whatever. Right. He completed his PhD. He published a paper that got somebody's attention. Anyway, um, he was like almost nobody wants to go to Solaris anymore. Right. But he was still very interested. Yeah. In study, like active new novel investigations into Solaris, and they... They had us. They had an opening. They had a few dozen openings. Yeah. And one applicant. And
1: Gabarian <laughs> was like, come on. He's like, cool, I'll go. So that's why he's going in the book. But in the movie, he's going because he's there to decide whether or not this station should continue to be manned. Is right. it time as, to just abandon this altogether?
0: As a slightly disinterested third party. Yeah. He's knowledgeable about solaristic studies, but... He, he is not personally invested in, like, actively performing solaristic studies.
1: Yeah, he's also sad. He's so fucking he's sad. So sad. He's and so sad and pensive. He's so fucking sad for the whole first part of this. You're like, oh, my God, could you be sadder? Please be. He's just, you know, what? and it got me thinking, oh, I'm going to get there. I'm, I'm going to get there. I'm not there yet. So- Anyway, he's having this conversation with Burton and Burton is like, don't you understand the importance of going? I saw some really weird shit. I need you to check it out while you're there. Like, that's why I'm here. I'm friends with your father. He can vouch for me. I'm a sane person. And I saw some weird stuff. And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not listening to you because I think you're trying to bias me. And I'm just going to investigate. So I can't be biased. Like, I'm literally doing what the committee was doing. I'm just there to decide whether or not it's worth staying. And Burton's like a 14 foot fucking baby appeared. And he's like, Meh, I mean, yeah, so you say. And so I think Chris ultimately says, listen, science isn't about morality. This isn't about it's not a moral choice. This isn't you can't conflate science and religion. These are two different things. We, If it's time to let it go, we need to let it go. And Burton is like, uh, science should be concerned with morality. And then he leaves, and he's walking past Chris's dad, and he's like, we're done, and we're fucking through. And he's like, we've been friends for 20 years. And he's like, well, it's bound to end sometime." And,
0: just <laughs> and, then, and then Chris's dad is like, are you going to take your boy? <laughs> Cuz <'Cause laughs> Burton brought his son. Yeah, and he was like, play. "Can you watch
1: him for a couple of days?" And he's like, "Nah, sure, yeah, my wife's not going to be doing anything. It's totally fine." And but no, he takes his he takes his boy with him. And uh
0: if for the 3 sorry, 30-minute car ride through Okay, like, so uh, corporate Soviet Russia. No,
1: apparently that was filmed in Tokyo and Kyoto.
0: Oh, And
1: to get a filming crew from the Soviet Union out to film on foreign soil was super difficult. And they managed to get a car ride. And so they kept it in. Just one car ride? They kept it in exclusively because it was so difficult to get that footage that they were like, we hold the line. This footage goes in at any price.
0: The highest... uh, Bureaucratic cost per minute of footage. Yeah,
1: yeah. So that's why that, because Burton leaves, he ultimately calls back and he's like, I didn't tell you while I was there, but I just wanted to let you know, Chris's dad, that the baby that I saw was Fletchner's son, which is a confirmation we don't get in the movie right. or in the book.
0: He's like, I went to visit Fechner's widow yeah, and I saw their child and it was the same as the child that I saw. Like, recreated in the Solaris Ocean goo.
1: Yeah. And that's confirmation we don't get in the book. Because in the book, he's like, maybe he had a baby that he knew? I don't know. He was like,
0: I. we know he had a wife and small child. Yeah. But that's it.
1: Yeah. And then they we, we end that phone conversation, and that's when we get our, like, long, long long driving scene like long and nothing happens you could probably just fast forward to it it's really long unless you want to be like wow you guys did a really good job getting out of the soviet union to film that so good job on you kudos kudos and then 50 minutes into the movie we finally get to the planet and i love the space station because it feels like space station by home depot a la love (laughs) the movie that we watched by um the same guy who did underwater Yeah, And the signal. William Eubank.
0: Yep. That's the guy.
1: Uh, Yeah. It looks like William Eubanks. Like there's blinking lights and there's like toolboxes glued to the wall and shit. And I love it. Like I just fucking love it. I love it when you can see the set builder.
0: I was really impressed with the set. Yeah. Given the first 45 minutes of the movie, he's not in any kind of spacecraft until 45 minutes into the movie. Yeah. And then he's in his little like shuttle thing landing on the station for a few minutes and like goes into the station and then he finds snout. So given the fact that we postponed any kind of space station footage yeah, until after 45 minutes into the movie, I was a little bit worried that the space station was going to be cheesy. Like, uh, like an office building or something.
1: Also a la love. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That happened.
1: Yep. So in apparently Andre was interviewed because he had not seen 2001: A Space Odyssey when this when he made this movie.
0: Oh. And so okay. people were
1: like, "Well, why did you choose to like emulate 2001: A Space Odyssey?" And he was like, "I I never fucking seen it. Like I don't know what you're talking about." But he apparently had like a a thing where he talked about um other sci-fi makers, mm-hmm. other sci-fi creators. And he said, I don't I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but I don't know why other sci-fi filmmakers feel the need to force feed the setting to the viewer. The setting should not be what you are coming to the show to see. Like, I don't know why the the scenery in 2001 A Space Odyssey was way more important than the story. Perhaps he didn't have a good story to tell. Like,
0: that's a cutting criticism.
1: Fucking burn, Andre. Like, but I think, yeah, like, look at a lot of the sci fi that we watch in the sci fi from this time period where it's like, look at the ship. Look at this pen float through the air for 15 minutes. I mean, there's that whole sequence in 2001, A Space Odyssey, where he's traveling to the space station and then he's docking in the space station and then we're in the space station and it's so long. And yeah, you're force fed the. The setting, And so he wanted the setting to feel like it wasn't like it was just there, but it wasn't as important as the story. And I feel like he achieved that.
0: He, he you think he achieved uh, making the scenery feel less important than the story?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not think so? Oh, no, I, I think
0: uh, I just don't know how focused he was on the story.
1: Oh, (laughs) I I mean, I'm not talking about adapting the novel. I'm talking about the story he ended up telling in the movie. Yeah. 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 I think because everything is same, same, you know, all the hallways look the same. All the rooms are effectively the same. And then there's the, the, except for the fucking library, which I feel is, I feel like I want to be in the library because it feels like a character in and of itself, but we're going to get there. Um, The thing that I thought was really funny is we just did this episode of Forever Night where we get the line that it's not the house that's haunted, it's the people. <laughs> and this is very much, it's not the spaceship that's haunted, it's the people.
0: Right, or the planet.
1: <laughs> or the planet. It's, it's not the-,
0: the planet that's haunted, it's the people who come to it. Yeah, you, you bring you your bring ghost your own with baggage.
1: You. you. You pack your own baggage. You bring your own shit. And it just unpacks your baggage for you, man. I don't know why everybody's so upset. I did struggle with the motivations in the novel. It felt like, or as we discussed in this, this isn't actually existential horror. And this isn't eldritch horror. This is machismo horror. Because it is a bunch of men forced to confront their own inner conflict in front of other men.
0: And they can't talk about their feelings. Ugh, that's oh, gross, no. Icky.
1: <laughs> Like, oh, is so that your wife? Yeah, she's a hot chick only, and I bang her all the time. Don't ask me questions. They're
0: only suffering because of their own, like, I don't know, boundaries. yeah. I don't know boundary seems too gentle of a term, but they're their only
1: insistment.
0: it's only their like self imposed rest constraints, yeah, on how they communicate and like posture in front of the other uh, human beings with penises that causes them to suffer the experiences that they're having, right? If they had just been like, Oh my god, guys like my dead son showed up and i uh, i still hold like a lot of pain from that happening yeah. and and seeing this reproduction of my dead son is really painful because it just reminds me of the future with this child that i lost yeah and i don't know if i sh- i feel conflicted about like interacting with this reproduction because am i like cheapening the memory of my real son and if they just actually had that kind of open conversation it'd be like okay i can deal with this this guest visitor g formation whatever yeah and i don't have to like pretend that i'm all okay in front of the other humans with penises Uh, Which would reduce everybody's suffering massively. Right. It wouldn't be, it would, it would not be like a horror movie at that point.
1: Almost as if patriarchy harms everybody. Hmm. Huh. Oh anyway let's talk about something more pressing which is his leather space pants
0: (laughs) and the straps cupping the underside of his buttocks
1: and his penis what is (laughs) happening uh, with these pants i was so it was an interesting
0: wardrobe choice
1: well he's wearing first he's walking around looking for people like he gets off of the space of his little shuttle and he has a backpack and he's like oh hello is anybody here and he trips over his own shoelace which seems like an odd thing to include, unless you're trying to show me that he's wearing like lace up rocky, like shit kicker boots. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and he's also wearing these really form fitting pants that have these like mesh, like a mesh up both sides. And then from the inside of his, his inseam, up to his waistband in like a V in the front, which ends up making this V around his crotch in the front. And then he has a strap that hugs the bottom of his buttocks on both sides in the back. And the only utilitarian purpose I can think of is he does have like a carabiner hanging off his one, like the one piece of mesh on his leg. And I think it must be just, you could stick anything in there. It's not so much a pocket. If those
0: are elastic and they're, they're only sewed to the pant fabric at the ends and the middle. Yeah, then you could whatever you have in your hands, you can just
1: stick sh- like stick in it there. in a strap yeah, like a net.
0: And it would work in full gravity, it would work in zero gravity. It's just like utilitarian but he never uses it like that. Right.
1: Well, he's also wearing a leather jacket. Like Right. a straight and leather jacket. And he's always
0: sweating and profusely. A
1: mesh shirt.
0: He's wearing a solid color shirt. Yeah. And then he has this like really tight mesh. The it's the mesh like pattern that's tight. Yeah. I guess the shirt is very form-fitting, too. The shirt's too, pretty tight, yeah. But and he's
1: got it tucked into it his pants. It looks
0: like the solid color and the mesh shirt are one piece. And it's just like an interesting overlay of fabric. But then we see him later wearing just the mesh shirt with no undershirt. Yeah. Interesting fashion choice.
1: <laughs> so, And it's purely a fashion choice. Okay. It's not
0: utilitarian. So
1: what I'm thinking is we are two times removed from this movie. We are removed by 50 years of time, Mm -hmm. and we are removed culturally. Like, the country that made this does not exist anymore, and we are not even the slightest bit Russian. So, we don't—culturally, we're removed, and time-wise, we're removed. I have a feeling— And
0: language barrier, we're removed.
1: I have a feeling this guy was supposed to be, like, the silver fox. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Um, Because people don't change. I mean, that's the whole point of the book, really. But people don't change. You make movies with hot people because hot people get people to go see the movies. This guy was supposed to be, probably was supposed to be like George Clooney. Yeah. Yeah. He's the eye candy, which is why he's wearing like ass, like shit kicker boots, ass hugging <laughs> pants and a mesh shirt.
0: But he has a dad bod, is but he, in, in yeah. certain societies, dad bod means you have enough to eat I mean, and you're successful.
1: There, that could have been aesthetically what they were going for is that type of body shape. And I mean, he has like his, his streak of white hair in the front. It's a very. Oh yeah.
0: His hair is usually pretty styled. And yeah. when it's not, people mention it.
1: Yeah. So I have a feeling he's supposed to be the hot guy in the movie. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And he's quite short. And then Snout. Ew. I know, the this.
0: short guy?
1: <laughs> and then the guy who plays Snout is even shorter. And everybody is smoking. They. Everyone smokes. Oh,
0: yes. They're smoking on
1: a space station. They're smoking on and a space station. And they have candles, on a, candles on a space station. There's candles on a space station. There's guns on a space station. Um, none of these things are okay. You should not have a projectile weapon where you need to have a pressure seal. Like, you can't shoot a bullet. What if it went through the wall and it decompressed the station?
0: Well, it wouldn't decompress. It would let the toxic atmosphere in.
1: Oh, that's true. Yeah, which is highly toxic. But it's fine because they're all smoking. They can handle it for a while anyway.
0: (laughs) They're inoculating themselves.
1: Yeah. But he gets there, and he ends up going to. Well, he first he meets Snout, which is like a kind of an odd. We actually get to see that he has a visitor because the there's like a
0: there's a hammock in his room.
1: Yeah, that's what it is, and it starts moving. Yeah, well, and then
0: as Snout is closing the door after kicking Chris out, yeah, he sees an ear right. of like a child uh, in the hammock just yeah. as the door is closing so which is more than we ever get in the book.
1: Right, that happened. And then he goes to find a a room which is bubble shaped. It's round on all sides.
0: Okay, so you if it has <sighs> to maintain pressure, like the whole section of the station would be curved to uh like resist the uh, the pressure difference between inside the ship and outside the or inside the station and outside the station but each room would not itself be bubble shaped right. it might have one wall that is curved as part of a like larger a larger sphere or ovoid or whatever but you'd have like flat walls in between the rooms that all yes. share the same exterior wall But this room and the other, like, quarters that we see, yeah, they are themselves independent bubbles. Yeah. So I guess these are, like, at the end of a tunnel and they bubble out by themselves maybe to have multiple windows? I don't know. Or they told the set guys, hey, we need these round rooms. It's space. It's space. (laughs) It's space. Kind of.
1: Um. And...
0: And maybe the set guys were like, okay, all the rooms are bubble shaped. Yeah. And then they got there and I'm like, oh guys.
1: There's and only a window. They were on supposed one to have side. one
0: shared curved wall. This is a space station. We'll Think about it. it. We'll
1: Fine red space. There's one Did you
0: see the miniature of the exterior of the space station? Look Which at it. It looked
1: really cool, by the way. The yes. approach to the, the space station looked really cool.
0: A lot of these effects are way more I don't know, cost effective, like yeah. actual performance effective and cost effective. To do a miniature and clever camera work, especially because they didn't have CG. Yeah. But then, even now, nowadays, it's it's still a more like future proofed uh, special effect to I do a miniature. Love some
1: practical effects. Yeah. If
0: you do like ninety five percent practical effect and just cover up the edges with CG, you're gonna get a much better product than a hundred percent cg
1: right because almost as if removing the craftsman from the craft makes it not as good yeah. oh weird how that works wow yeah we're really we're just hitting some really good points here today <laughs> um but god what now i forgot his name you did that to me G-
0: which character is it J- Sartorius. No, Jabron.
1: Jibra- Snout. Jibron? What oh, is his name? Oh, Jabarian. Jabarian. Thank you, God. I knew it. I gave it to you, and I couldn't get it back from you. So, note. We can note, share it. His note becomes like a a VCR tape, basically, like a a DVD player on his flat screen yes. TV. And it's a bunch of exposition. It's I,
0: I do like that he actually listens to the tape oh, when he finds yeah. it. Yeah, go How figure. How about that?
1: Yeah, and then he goes to see Sartorius. And hey, we got rid of the, and this is a direct quote from the book, Negress. That is Ghebarian's <laughs> lady.
0: The large black woman uh, walking barefoot through the hallway. Who is referred
1: to as the word I'm not going to say again. Yeah, so we got rid of her. Thank God. But instead, we gave Sartorius a little person.
0: Well, we gave Jabarian like an 11-year-old girl.
1: Um, A teenager, I would say. We haven't oh, met her yet. And
0: <laughs> on the topic of age, does Chris look 29?
1: He says he's in his 50s. Oh no! Oh no! That's snout says he's snout in his fifties. Snout is in his fifties. I don't know. Maybe this is a really hard so twenty-nine. This, this,
0: <laughs> we we threw out a reference to what we do in the shadows, where one of the characters, one of the vampires, oh, he's sixteen. Yeah, he's, he's a, <laughs> yeah. So when they get turned into a vampire, they they look exactly the same for the rest of their vampire existence. existence. Yeah. And so he's like, "Look at me! I was sixteen. Life was much harder for a sixteen-year-old like, back in my day, <laughs> but he looks like harder. he's in his thirties. And yeah. so, <laughs> so, life in Soviet Russia is John more difficult that. for a twenty-nine-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's he's know. just he's a hard-lived 29. A hard twenty-nine. Or or in this adaptation. Yeah. Chris is older.
1: This is in the Criterion Collection. You need to show some respect.
0: A 29-year-old doesn't have their own monogrammed pajamas.
1: Which he brought with him to space. <laughs> he was like, what do I pack? Well, I can't leave my monogrammed pajama set. That can't be left behind. Oh, my God. Mom would be so mad at me. And He brings it with him. Maybe his wife made it for him
0: maybe but shoot, they never mentioned
1: it no there's a part where he's wearing a bathrobe which is also monogrammed and i think it actually has hk on the pocket okay which would make it her monogrammed bathrobe which he also brought with him to space in they that were,
0: little backpack
1: they were like you have 20 pounds um, this is everything that you're going to need the entire time you're here. And he was like, "Okay, monogrammed bathrobe, monogrammed <laughs> <Silk> <laughs> pajama <pajamas>? set." <laughs> or, does he does Bella he have case, the whole pajama set, stubby?
0: or does he only have the pajama shirt?
1: Well, one assumes he also brought the pants. I cannot. There imagine are numerous he came to occasions where
0: he's walking around. In whitey tighties and his, his leather, monogrammed... Or his leather jacket. Or his leather jacket. <laughs> yes. His monogrammed pajama top or his leather jacket with just underwear.
1: That's only when he gets shocked out of bed by something traumatic happening. Okay? And he's got to throw something on really. Which away. is
0: like every time he wakes up. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy.
1: I know. But as mentioned, we go see Gabarian um, in the cold room again. And... When he goes in there and he opened it up, all I could think was the scene from Dark Star when they thaw the captain out. To or they, they like the captain's dead, so they've frozen him. But they can like ask him questions, advice on what they should do in any given situation. But the only thing it, the only thing the captain ever says is, "How are the cubs doing?" <laughs> and all I could think when he opens up Gabarian's thing was, <laughs> "How are the cubs doing?" <laughs> We need to do Dark Star because that's how Jodorowsky met Dan O'Bannon. And that's how Dan O'Bannon got hooked up with H.R. Giger and everybody so that he could do Aliens. So you don't have Dark Star. You don't have Aliens. So we need to do Dark Star. But how are the Cubs doing? All I could think. Uh, one thing that I missed, we haven't done 70s movies Um since we did all the 70s vampire movies. But one thing I like about 70s cinematography that I wish we would bring back is when the camera moves independently of what the actors are doing. So like the act, the camera might be panning slowly around the room and the actors are moving quickly around the room and doing stuff. And like we might start on the actor and then the actor will walk out of frame and then we'll catch up with the actor, and then we might pass the actor, and then the actor will come back and we'll end on the actor. Right,
0: like the the camera is panning slowly to the left. Yeah. And we pass a scene where we can see the actor doing something, and they pass around the camera on the right side, behind the camera, and then to the left, and get set up yeah. doing something else. And so we can have this cool continuous shot that's also a montage with the same actor just moving around into different spots right. in the room behind the camera.
1: Right. And this gives us a lot of like a, a variety of things. First of all, it kind of breaks up the pensive 70s still camera on a still object. <laughs> um, and it also allows us as the viewer to pick up on things in the room that the director wants us to see. So that happens quite a few times in this where the camera will be moving stuff is happening you're on a spaceship and as it's panning there's like of like a porcelain vase.
0: Right and it adds some action to the scene even if the character is just doing like routine like Right. they're just picking up a little bit before right. they start their day.
1: Like in this one in particular there was like a bunch of plates of food. There was a vase and then there was broken glass, like a a tall glass object that was broken and a piece of glass falls off of it. And so you get to see like a survey of the room while also having action. And it just works really well, especially when there's dialogue happening over it, because it gives us the feeling of a lot going on, even if this is just a dialogue moment. Yeah. Yeah. And it gives us like a, ooh, look at that surreal stuff that's going on in the set. I get a chance to look at the whole set while taking in the action, while listening to the dialogue.
0: And they can shove the setting down our throat.
1: When it's important, yes. The only weird choice I found was... When
0: it's relevant to the plot.
1: Yeah. The only weird choice I found in this was it was never dark. Whenever it was dark, it actually just went to black and white. And I'm wondering if that was a choice because in the book, it's never night.
0: Right. It's only ever dark for like 15 minutes because there's the red sun and the blue sun. And so like they sleep. Don't they sleep during the blue? The blue sunrise?
1: Well, the the days are so fast. They just kind of have an agreed on yeah. time on the station. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the usual stuff happens. He goes to sleep. He wakes up. It's Harry. Harry is wearing a truly, truly 70s crochet shawl in varying shades of brown and is also wearing a suede leather dress in varying shades of brown. This dress must have been so hot I don't know how she isn't sweating, and he is sweaty in every moment of this film. This is a sweaty dude. There's a part where he gets up, and there's a wet well, spot on the pillow. Well, because he's the
0: hot guy.
1: Ba-dum-tsh. Oh, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we know. <laughs> ah. But the first thing he does is show her this home movie. He immediately is like, oh, no, well... I have to say, every adaptation includes the part where he's like, "Look, look what that look what's in that shuttle. I think I dropped my contact lens in the oh, you, of that shuttle." I have
0: to go do some work. You want to come with me? Okay. I need to go fly around on the shuttle a little bit and just do some, do my job. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, you go in first because I need to go in last to shut the hatch correctly. Okay. Okay. You're inside.
1: Okay. I'm, Bye.
0: Shut the hatches.
1: Bye here, Alicia. So what ends up happening in this one is the button to launch the rocket is inside the inside rocket launch room, <laughs> And when you push the button, it closes the door that lets you out of the rocket launching chamber. So r- launching the rocket locks you in the room with the rocket.
0: Which causes you to get burns every time you launch a rocket. Right. So this is supposed to be like a routine thing. They have these yeah. unmanned rockets that it says they ship stuff up to the satellite, and then the satellite can send the rocket back, and it's all automated on the satellite. Yeah. What are they shipping to the satellite from the station though? Just
1: vibes. Just vibes. <laughs> just the vibes were not I, immaculate I imagine, we put them in the rocket and we just I imagine they the must
0: be getting regular shipments of supplies like food and water yeah and, that is
1: the object of least importance we never talk about it
0: and cigarettes
1: they just eat um,
0: and candles
1: not condensed meat yeah condensed meat they keep eating and I'm like condensed meat what how do you condense what do you do to condense meat do you Boil it down until it becomes a you, solid? Wait, you no. You can it. No, but can they didn't the call it canned. They called it condensed, like condensed I'm, milk.
0: I want to look this up. Condensed meat. This is an article from uh, Time from July 6th, 1942. Oh, good. Is this a story? Let's see. Okay. Claude Wickard looked, sniffed, taste, grinned. The Department of Agriculture scientists watched him anxiously. On the plate they had served him were pork and beef croquettes and stew. This was the proof of a pudding three months in the making, an attempt to remove 90% of the water in pork and beef to cut its weight 70% and its volume 65% for easier shipping to U.S. fighters and allies and still keep the meat pleasantly edible. The technicians had tried the condensed meat on rats, who got fat on it, then on suspicious tasters at the the department's Beltsville Research Center. But right off the bat, food boss Wickard called the croquettes excellent, the stew very good, ordered the scientists back to their laboratories to do the same for mutton and lamb. The technicians had exposed the dehydrated meat to temperatures as high as 110 degrees for four weeks without spoiling it, had inoculated it with deadly organisms, which died or remained dormant. The meat lost some protein value in the drying. In the dehydration, the meat is is exposed to great heat, practically pre-cooked, then put into dry air to drive off at least 90% of the moisture. So It it's must jerky? be vacuum-packed in tin cans until other packaging can be found. To reconvert the dry powdery meat, it is soaked in water for an hour, boiled 10 minutes, simmered for 10 to 20 minutes. So this was like a wartime ration thing.
1: Oh, where is that article from?
0: A Time magazine from 1942.
1: Well, now that's a thing we all know, that that existed. Condensed
0: meat is dehydrated meat.
1: But not jerky.
0: It's not jerky. No. It's a lower temperature. All right. So this would make sense for a remote space station. Yeah. If you wanted to separate your water and your food, then just for weight and volume of food, you would dehydrate it. Or in this case... Turn it into
1: condensed meat. Yeah. Wow. Okay. On that note, the first thing he shows Harry is this, like, art house home movie.
0: Oh, yeah. The art house family movie. Yeah.
1: The, like, indie movie that they made and he took with him. He packed it in along with his monogrammed jammies. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, check out this shit. And so he plays it for her. And it's only really important because it introduces his mother... In her floor-length crochet rose gown that she's wearing. It's a vibe. It's a vibe. Not the kind of vibes that they send off in the spaceship, but like just a vibe. You can't get rid of it. It's part of you. And it's odd, and I don't know why we include it. And then we include it as clips from here on out. And they refer to it as the bonfire movie. And yet there isn't really a bonfire in it. I don't know what the fuck this was or why it's in this movie. But again, this is in the Criterion Collection, so... So
0: it's worth something.
1: It's, it must be worth something. must be something we are missing. It can't possibly be that this was a weird thing to include in this movie. The thing I did like about this movie that I, like, I preferred over the book was Harry's emotional journey. I feel like in the book we sort of get her... We get her realizing she's not human and then ultimately choosing to not stick around, but we don't really get the full emotional impact of what that does to the being formerly known as Harry because she goes on a full-ass journey in this movie kind of because we shift the focus from This is about the fact that humans are too irrational to be able to actually establish contact with an alien race. And instead, we're like, is it about the wife, though? I think it's about the wife, though.
0: The wife, right?
1: The wife. I'm pretty sure this is about him wanting to stay with his hot young wife that he got back. I'm almost positive that's the point of the book. Yeah. No, that's. Yeah. Let's. We're just going to. Yeah. Yeah. mm -hmm. This is
0: the the film the filmmakers yeah but natalia bondarchuk
1: yeah apparently she got top billing
0: she rocked
1: she really did. she
0: was the best actor actress in this movie
1: well the only thing the dudes got to do was be stoic
0: right they had to yeah because they're they're macho men
1: they're macho they cannot look weak
0: or vulnerable no. in front of the other humans with penises. That's
1: why they can't tell each other about their guests. Yeah, and they never do. But Natalia,
0: do. since she doesn't have a penis, she's not susceptible to the the same like lack of ability to be vulnerable. Yeah, and so she can just chew their asses out about and does being stupid.
1: Yeah, because then we go to the library. Snout is like, It's my birthday and I'm throwing a party and I want everybody to come. And they're like, It's not your birthday. And he's like, Um, that doesn't matter. I'm having a birthday party. You need to come to it. So he goes to the they go to the library, which is the fucking library set. First it's all in wood. It apparently has astroturf for carpet. There are these Russian winter scenes hanging on the wall, like p- portraits, painted that we spend. portraits. Dozens oh. of minutes Oh yeah, perusing. We z- yeah, we zoom in and like pan around quite a bit. There's a copy of Don Quixote with a flower pressed in the middle of it. There's candelabras all over the place that are lit. There is a full on crystal chandelier hanging from the ceiling. There is a large wooden meeting table in the center that is covered in like plates and dishes and shit. There's marble sculptures. There's a brass astrolabe. There is what the fucking is what is happening. It is like they raided the uh, the prop cupboard. They were like, well, what can we put in here? And they're like, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, they got to have a nice place to go. Let's make it real nice. Instead of literally everything here had to be shipped here. And I think it's supposed to be a little bit like this is how long this station has been here. It has been here so long. That it's been
0: made this, like, comfortable.
1: Yeah yeah that we have had the resources and the time and that everyone bringing a little bit at a time has allowed us to create like a second home here and they they're kind of meeting up to discuss what to do with the g units i don't know the 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 g formations the g formations the, ghosts, the visitors the and guests and harry actually gets a line like a real line a monologue a monologue because they're having this, why are you here conversation? Because everybody else is making a real valiant effort to, to fight um, their emotional attraction to these creatures that have been created for purposes unknown. And the psychologist, Chris Kelvin, arrives and is like, oh, my wife? Oh, fuck yeah, I love my wife and immediately falls for it and is not fighting it and is not trying to do anything is literally just sitting around all day hanging out with his wife which can we blame him too much not really but also like he came for a purpose and they call him out on it they're like you came all this way to lay in bed all day and fuck your wife is that what you came your dead wife that's not even your wife You know, you're having sex with the planet, right? Like the physical (laughs) manifestation of the planet. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And this is when Harry actually speaks up. And she's like, we may not be human, but I can't believe you guys are treating us like we're just some kind of a hindrance. Don't you realize we are your conscience? And they use the line, we don't need another planet. We need a mirror. That you need a mirror. You need someone to hold up a mirror to you so you can see yourself. How can you talk to the planet
0: if you can't talk to each other?
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I love that her growing independence gets displayed by her ability to be a distance away from him. Like he leaves, and then he's like, Oh shit, I shut the door. She's totally defeated by doors. She doesn't know how to open them. Uh, I have to go back and get her. And he goes back, and she's just sitting there smoking, like, Oh, I'm sorry, I got lost in thought. Is everything okay? And Snout is like, Yeah, she's becoming more human, but don't you realize that that is not a good thing? That we don't want her to be more human? It kind of reminds me of, oh, that's what it reminds me of. I was trying to figure out what all it reminded me of. And it kind of reminds me of the Doctor Who episode, Midnight.
0: Oh, yeah, where it's just in the train thing. Yeah.
1: We do not talk to goblin men. We do not eat their fruit. We do not know on what they've fed their dirty, thirsty roots. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That's a really good episode. It's a really good episode of Doctor Who. But it's, we don't know who they are. We don't know what them becoming more human could mean. What if they become so human they forget they're not human? And then we get the suicide attempt, her drinking liquid oxygen, which I get, but also this is an entire-ass space station. And you go with, I'm going to drink one of the most caustic substances it's possible to drink. It's like Drano is the worst possible solution. the other thing
0: with liquid oxygen is... It has to be super, super cold. It's almost like for storage temperature, it's almost liquid nitrogen. So the first effect that's going to happen is you're going to get frozen. Yeah. And you're not going to get like, uh, I guess it's the opposite of acid, um, alkaline burned Yeah. until everything starts thawing yeah yeah it's gonna be it's gonna hurt you're gonna die it's gonna and it's hurt. gonna hurt the whole time you're dying,
1: yeah, and so that's how she chooses to do it again, she does it in the book, and she does it in this, and this is where she earns her she earns her uh, star, like she earns her her because she has to die and then writhe around coming back to life and then gasp like her esophagus was melted, which it was. And then be like, no, motherfucker, I it thought I was going to die. God damn it. And then ultimately, of course, she does die because they figured out how to make them go away. And,
0: and she opts for that.
1: She opts for that because she, at this point, knows she is not human. She knows she is not hairy. And she knows that Chris would give everything up to stay and be with her. But she doesn't know what that means.
0: Right. And I think she still... Likes or loves Chris enough, like as a as a residual of starting out as the Harry from Chris's memory, she still like respects him enough to recognize that that's not the best thing for him. Right is to stay around on this station just for her. Yeah, which she doesn't want to stay around anyway.
1: Right. Um, They do the encephalogram thing where they scan his brain and they send it into the ocean. And then apparently Harry is gone. And now something is changing on the surface of Solaris. It's creating islands. Hmm. Hmm. And they're like, hmm, okay. And then we cut to like he's home. He has this whole part where he has a fever and Harry saves him and Snout saves him and he's feverish and he's having these weird, it, something about the sci-fi of this era felt like it needed to end with this just off-the-wall series of imagery. It happens at the end of 2000 A Space Odyssey. It happens at the end of this. And then when we come back, he's like back at his family home, but there's water pouring in. And his dad is making tea, but there's water pouring in on him while he's making tea. And he ends up looking in the window and then it kind of pans out like his dad comes out and he collapses in front of his dad. And this is supposed to be this is supposed to be the exact same pose as this famous prodigal son painting.
0: Oh, so it's inspired by something yeah,
1: so it's like the prodigal son has returned to his father, and then he like collapses in front of his dad and we' pan out and psych y'all he's on the surface of Solaris and on this one was of just the new an islands. islands, and that's the end of the movie and I can kind of understand why Lem was vocally opposed to this adaptation because um it it somehow mimics the majority of the events from the book without being about the same thing that the book was about?
0: Right, probably a third to a half of the content of the novel is talking about the, the planet slash ocean slash brain goo that is Solaris, and we don't really get any of that In the movie. No. So Lem didn't like it because that's the whole point of the book. Yeah. Is Solaris is an example of a non-human entity that like the human mind is completely incapable of
1: uh, relating to. I mean, I get it in this adaptation because also the human ability to make sentient looking goo on on us, like for a movie wasn't really there, but we end right, up- Right, from a special effects perspective. Yeah, we end up removing Solaris as a character. Right. We keep the people, we keep the wife. It. You know what happens is the most- So if you are a filmmaker, a script writer, and you read this book- the chunk of this book that feels the most marketable as a storyline is the Chris Harry storyline.
0: Right. So like when I first started reading the book and it it was getting into they have these guests and it's really disturbing, I told Rachel this felt like eldritch sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, I said it kind of reminded me of... Into the Mountains of Madness, which is a...
1: HB Lovecraft.
0: Uh, yeah, Lovecraft, like, short story, novella yeah. thing. And they go into this, uh, like, they're in, like, the Arctic or something. They go into this mountain-ish area, cave, and they find these ancient ruins that were not made by humans. They go into a lot of detail about how humans don't have the right like, perception organs and mindset to, like, perceive and understand uh, what's, like, recorded. Because all these surfaces are engraved with stuff. Yeah. But they're like, we can't really understand what's here. So uh, wh- what kind of being would have made these kinds of things? And so it goes off into this whole angle about uh, the limits of human cognition and perception and alienness and all that, which felt a lot like what uh good old Stan here was yeah. going for with the planet Solaris.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean that this was the, what if we met someone, something that was wholly alien. And he wrote an entire book about how that could go down and how we would not even perceive its attempts at communication we wouldn't be even be able to understand its attempts at communication
0: right and and as he's writing this story oh i need an angle for the planet to take yeah as like maybe an attempt to communicate maybe it's just an unconscious like reproduction of some mental artifact or whatever I'm going to make Stanislav, my interpretation is like, okay, and I need something to happen that's like the planet trying to communicate. Okay, it's going to recreate these things from their minds. And maybe it's trying to communicate. Maybe it's just whatever. But uh, Chris's wife shows up. Yeah. And it was just part of the, I don't know, part of the setting. Yeah, It was just... A reference to make the story a little bit relatable and And make it feel feel kind of weird. And
1: impactful and weird because she, oh, she died. She couldn't be here. And to make him, to give him pause. Right. But that's not the point of the story. yeah It's just
0: a narrative tool. He, He could have chosen one of another, a bunch of other things. Yeah. And every adaptation is like, oh, but the wife.
1: Yeah. Right. Oh, it's about the wife, though. The the right. dead hot it's wife. About the wife. Yeah. yeah, that's
0: that's what, that's the key to this story. That's the core part of this narrative. That's the only thing we're going to address in the movie, and it kind of cheapens the story. Well,
1: that's why Lem kept saying, "I didn't write about people's erotic problems in space. Like that is not what I was fucking that's talking a great about. Line. Yeah. He didn't say that that's not what I was fucking talking about, but he did say the, I did not write about people's erotic problems in space. I mean, this is a fine movie. Is it a two hour and 45 minute long? I really felt like time flied and I was entertained the entire time. No, this feels to me like I can put it on the shelf right next to 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is... Uh, every film bro is going to tell you this is one of the best movies ever and then you watch it and you're like maybe there's something wrong with me.
0: I do like a lot of parts of 2001: A Space Odyssey. But it's all the parts about how. Yeah. And the the interactions of a like a corrupted artificial and intelligence Daisy, Daisy having to yeah, do right in the book, they go into great detail about how the reason HAL 9000 behaved the way it did is because it was built. It was designed and programmed to always tell the truth and to like be respectful and careful with humans. But then before the mission, they said, okay, HAL, on these specific topics, you need to lie. Yeah. And that like contradiction in its like the rules that it had to follow, that's why
1: it drove it mad. Uh,
0: it, it drove it insane.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Hal 9000 became insane because the contradictory commands that it was programmed to yeah. follow, oh, both no. of them.
1: No, I've seen and it. I've read the That's Balkan. the interesting
0: yeah. part of the movie for me, right is to see that played out in live action. Like, all the over-the-top filmography special effects stuff. Okay. Yeah. It was kind of cool.
1: It's all right. That's what I'm saying. You slot it right up on the shelf next to 2001 Space Odyssey, which is, is it important to see? Yes. I would suggest everybody take the time to watch this movie. If you don't love this movie, is there something wrong with you? No. I you just could think- easily
0: watch this movie. Uh, Solaris. At yeah. like 1.25 oh, speed. Oh, yeah. And
1: you'd be perfectly fine. And you'd be fine. <laughs> yeah.
0: There's so little dialogues. Even if you're listening to the Russian language with English subtitles, there's so little dialogue, you're going to be able to keep up with the yeah, subtitles.
1: Yeah, it's fine. It'll just get you through the long, which this, this ocean was actually like silver dust and acetone and a couple other things mixed together. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: It was like in the 60s and 70s, one of the things you did for sci-fi visualizations is you mixed shit together and stirred (laughs) it. And
1: just filmed it.
0: And filmed that mixture of things that didn't actually combine.
1: Yeah. Uh, So I think stylistically this movie is good to watch because it's pretty. I think it's it's not a faithful ish adaptation of the book is it good enough yeah i mean if you want to just think of Lim's book as about like his relationship to his wife then this movie's fine about that and if you want to watch a dude in shit kicker boots and tight space pants also got you um it's just one of those like it's art right and it's an art movie in that um One of the complaints that um, a lot of artists have and that like when I went to art school, one of the things we talked about, which is artists are talking to other artists. And so you create this insular language and it ends up making alienating people who otherwise would enjoy the art because they don't feel like they fully understand what you're talking about. And what I'm trying to avoid with this podcast and in life in general is for us to create this language of like film people talking to other film people. Yeah. And I think this is one of those movies that gets held up by film bros so much that it becomes intimidating to watch. Like what if I watch it and don't like it? I'm going to think there's something wrong with me because I didn't get it.
0: Right. There's something I'm missing that all these film bros are talking about. And don't
1: just watch it for what it is. Enjoy it for what it is. Enjoy it for the practical effects. Enjoy it for um, the performance of the woman who plays Harry. Um, and
0: some cultural references. Some
1: cultural references. The sets. Um, just the oddballness of some of what's going on. Like for some reason, there's these... They're not vending machines, but they look like vending machines. But they're at an angle.
0: They're kind of these terminals in the main hallway. Yeah,
1: it totally distracted us. But and just, it's
0: supposed to, I think, just break up the big empty hallway
1: yeah yeah so watch it put it back in its little case stick it up on the shelf next to 2001 a space odyssey watch it again sometime with a friend if you want to be like check out this shit this are this is a good check out this shit movie you watch it once to be like what actually it took us two days because i fell asleep i fell asleep like immediately after this got like we put this on it was yeah 9:30 i think it was like night, 30, night.
0: 30 minutes and you were falling asleep yeah and so we turned it off
1: yeah we did and then you put on dream scenario and i didn't make it through the credits
0: <laughs> <laughs> we could probably do a quick just me ranting about dream scenario <laughs> for like 20 minutes
1: <laughs> well we could let's do that right geez. now so until next time friends
0: bye bye,
1: bye.